Hi, this is Chuck Huber, Dr. Leonard McCoy from Star Trek Continues. I'm a doctor, not a DJ. But I know that you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson! Biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. Welcome, one and all, to Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast. This is episode number 53, and we are so glad you've joined us. We're thankful for everybody who listens and downloads, and you are no exception, my friend. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and joining me at this time, as he does every single episode of Trek Geeks, is my co-host, he was excited this week when the Spice Girls announced they were getting back together for a reunion tour. He really, really, really wants to zig-a-zig ah. His Spice name would be Trekkie Spice. He's the wannabe known as Dan Davidson. Dan, how are you, buddy? Oh, my God, I can't believe it. I can't wait. I hate you. <laughs> Can I tell you that I remember when we worked together 20 yes. years ago? Yeah. You used to torture me with that yes. wannabe song. Yes, I did. And you I would sit not... in your chair and dance <laughs> like an idiot. Yep, back in the day when I had no idea what I was doing with music. You still don't. <laughs> I still don't. <laughs> How are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you? It's good to be here. Good to see you. It's uh, episode 53. I still cannot believe it. Um, I'm amazed I haven't fired you yet. I, you have several times. I just keep showing up like Kramer. That's all. It's a reference that's lost on me because I don't watch Seinfeld. I don't watch Seinfeld either, but I used to, and I didn't really like it. <laughs> so we'll just move on from there. Well, so I guess a Seinfeld podcast is not in our future. Uh, not no. I mean, back then it was probably considered funny, but now when I see the reruns, I don't even crack a smile. Well, I never cracked a smile, and my wife just doesn't understand it. But, yeah, because she yeah. loves it. Well, and it's not like we can do Love Boat because that podcast is going to be taken by Mission Log at some point. So yeah, that's right. We well, might have we'll to default to something like Smart Podcast. Oh, that'd be good. Yes, I missed thinking, it by that much. GI Joe. I never watched that. Neither did I. Okay. All right. <laughs> wow. Well, Dan, we today <laughs> Star Trek, right? Star. Uh, oh, I'm in the wrong show. <laughs> well, Dan, um, all. Spring and summer long, we have an initiative going where we want people to tell us their stories about the first time they watched Star Trek. Why don't you fill us in a little more before we get to some news? Sure. Uh, absolutely. Uh, like you said, we want everyone out there to be part of our celebration of Star Trek's 50th anniversary uh, and tell us about the first time you ever watched Star Trek. And we're going to have a special Trek 50 uh, podcast later this summer. All you have to do is leave us a message telling us how you began your Trek. Uh, as we have said before, the thing that unites us as fans is our love for these stories and for these characters, and everybody's story is unique. What episode or what movie was your first, and what did you like most, and what made you want to keep watching? Who was with you, and what made it special? So we want to take all your messages and publish them as a special podcast episode for Star Trek's 50th anniversary in September. All you need to do is call us directly at 508-784-1701. And leave us a voicemail or record a message right on our website. On our website, website, uh, yeah, at trekgeeks.com/trek50. Uh, just remember to leave us your name and where you're calling from, and please try to keep your message to a maximum of three minutes. No rambling, right, Bill? What? Yeah. For more information, <laughs> go ahead and head over to the special page that we have set up. Uh, once again, that's trekgeeks.com/trek50. And get all the details back to you, Bill. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. <laughs> I just love that.
Bill, let's uh let's talk some news here on episode 53. First of all, I have got to welcome you back to the East Coast, my friend, because you were doing some pretty special stuff uh, last week. And for those of you who may not know, you've got some new ink that you're going to be sharing with the world, correct? I do, actually. I'm very excited about it. So going back in time about, I want to say a year, maybe a little more, um, I found an artist on Facebook, or I should say our friend Heather Barker pointed me toward an artist on Facebook that did nerd-type pinups or drawings. Mm-hmm. And so I contacted her and I asked if she would create for me a pinup in the style of Star Trek, the original series, because my intent was to get it tattooed. Well, I got the drawing back after about a month or so, we made some revisions and it looked phenomenal. And then I started really my search of finding an artist I wanted to perform the tattoo. And that took me to Las Vegas. And I actually got my tattoo done just this past week at Revolt Tattoos in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada, mm-hmm. by um, by the artist Sausage, who currently is a contestant on uh, on Ink Master Revenge, airing on Spike TV. Please check your local listings. But uh, it's great. It goes from my shoulder almost down to my elbow. It's got the Enterprise in there. I, I selected a Vulcan Starfleet officer in the classic TOS um, dress. And uh, it, I couldn't be happier with how it turned out. Sausage is an amazing artist. He made some great revisions to the original drawing that, that even made it better. Right. And he yeah. did the whole thing in about five hours. It's amazing. It is amazing, and um, anybody can see it over on our Facebook page, our Trek Geeks Facebook page, just some pictures of it, of the whole process of when it first started and all through that five hours. Did it hurt? Well, you know, it's different for everybody, and I guess that's probably the question that everybody asks. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it's it's not like getting jammed with a hypodermic needle, you know, or, or like getting blood drawn. It feels like scratching. Okay. There are parts that are more tender than others on your skin. And at times those may hurt a little more, but overall, it really just feels like scratching the whole time. It it didn't really hurt me at all. Well, it it looks awesome. And I'm very happy to say that you actually asked for my opinion while you were putting this whole thing together. I remember one day you said, hey, you think she would look better holding a phaser or holding a communicator? And I said phaser and boom, you got a phaser. Yeah. In fact, I thought communicator at first because I figured... You know, Starfleet exploration. Yeah. At first, I thought maybe tricorder, but that kind of looked a little too clunky in her hand and the tattoo. But she's sort of riding the saucer section of the Enterprise, and she's got phaser in hand, and it came out perfect. It came out remarkable. It came out so well that I'm actually starting to think about things on my side. <laughs> I think that's I think that's phenomenal. The key really is to find the right artist. Right. You know, whether you decide to do it locally or fly across the country like I did, because my wife and I love Las Vegas. We can always, you know, kill a weekend there and be very happy. Right. Kind of like we did. (laughs) (laughs) But the key is finding an artist that is going to represent the piece you want and have the skill skill level to execute it the way you want it. Yeah. Well, it looks awesome. I can't wait for all the folks in Vegas to see it because it will be a very big discussion point. I'm thinking uh, several nights while we're sitting around relaxing after a long day of conventioning. I think you're probably right. Um, Speaking of people. Yes. Looking at more news, we'd like to announce the contest winners from our Disruptor Beam poster giveaway. Okay. How does that sound? (laughs) It sounds great. As you folks may know, we had a contest going for about six weeks or so. And uh, uh, all you needed to do was start playing timelines and join our fleet in the game. Uh, Several people did. I think we had about 20 people who actually uh, ended up uh, joining the fleet and then telling us what their, uh, uh, I don't know, character name was in the game or their ID uh, on our Facebook page. And we went through and we put those all out and we randomly chose two winners so, uh, Bill, do you want to do the honors, or would you like me to uh, tell everybody who won? Oh, you can do the honors. All right. Well, our first winner, we want to congratulate Billy Tovex. Uh, he is the winner of poster number one. And poster number two is going to Trey Womack. Uh, we are both very, very happy to uh, send these down to these guys. 
they are listeners. They had some great things to say to us when I contacted them to let them know that they had won these posters. And uh, we hope that you enjoy them very much. They are beautiful works of art. They really are. The artist Kat Staggs did an amazing job with this exclusive print for Disruptor Beam. I, um, I, I think it's phenomenal. As soon as I have wall space, I'm going to put mine up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I actually have thought about the idea of having that framed and then all of our album covers for the podcast to be surrounding it. Oh, that'd so, be cool. So, yeah, I just need to get a big enough wall and permission from my wife. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really the key. It is, yeah. Well, we'll get those posters out to Billy and Trey this week. And, guys, we truly hope you enjoy them. Send us photos when you hang them up. We'll, we'll definitely put them on the Trek Geeks Facebook page, and we'd love to see them. So. Dan, a couple of weeks ago, you and I and our beautiful brides actually took a trip into the hub of New England. Yeah. And we we saw the amazing Star Trek The Ultimate Voyage concert, didn't we? We did. It was... It was everything I think that both of us hoped it would be. Uh, it was uh, an interesting drive down, not the best of weather, even though it was supposed to be nice that day, if I remember correctly, but it kind of snowed the entire trip down. Um, got down there, had a great dinner, and then we went over to the Wang Center and uh, sat there in that front row and mezzanine level and watched an amazing performance uh, by the Czechoslovakian Symphony, I believe, is what the band that did it. Uh, it, was, it was really something. I was really impressed by how well the musical selections they made went with the video that they showed because there was there was a video piece throughout the whole thing. Yep. And it wasn't always the right music for the right scene. They kind of did some mashups and, and some mix-ups, and that was really great. But there were some that were the actual scene music that were phenomenal live. Yes. It's so phenomenal that phenomenal that you forgot that it was actually a live orchestra playing because it was so perfect to what we were watching on screen. We can tell everybody one of the examples was the fight scene in Amok Time Yeah, between Spock and Kirk, that famous music that's played. It was awesome how amazing it was to be listening to it and not realizing at times that you're that like i said you were listening to a real orchestra instead of just the track on a dvd or something like that i got goosebumps when i heard that because i mean we've heard that music for decades it's appeared in other things like Mm -hmm. the cable guy with jim carrey and ben stiller and it's just become such a part of pop culture right and to hear it live it was like oh wow Oh my God, this is cool. Yeah, it was very cool. One of the things I found really interesting is, is you hear these, you hear these, um, the soundtracks to all the movies and the TV series and you hear all the instruments and you think you've got a massive amount of people in this orchestra. There weren't that many people there. I think there were what, maybe 25 in that orchestra. I, I think that's probably about right. It sounded like there were a hundred because the, the acoustics and, and everything that was done, it was Anybody who is in an area where the ultimate voyage is going to be over the course of this year, do yourself a favor, make the time to go see this. You will not be disappointed at all. You know, it's kind of like comfort food for Star Trek fans Mm -hmm. because, I mean, we've grown up with this music and watching these shows over the years. Whether you came in on original series or Voyager or Deep Space Nine or Next Gen or or even Enterprise, you know, it, it just it doesn't matter. You'll go, you'll have a great time. When you're done, you're going to be smiling from ear to ear like we were, Mm because we were kind of (laughs) nutty. Yeah, you are. But more importantly, Uh, our wives had a great time, too. They did. They enjoyed it very much, and I am not afraid to say there were a couple performances where I got teary-eyed. It was such a powerful show. I really thought it was great. The Leonard Nimoy, I don't want to say tribute, because it wasn't really a tribute, but you knew that there was one special section that was dedicated to him was awesome. It was yeah. just awesome. Yeah. Well, then the, the whole inner light suite, which was, was when wonderful. When that girl started playing that flute by herself in the solo, oh, man. So if you, you have the chance to see it and you haven't booked tickets yet, we can't recommend it highly enough. You're going to love it um, simply just because it is Star Trek at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Dan, there was also some news this week about a new Blu-ray release. And I know you're really excited for this one, buddy, aren't you? Oh, my God. Finally, I have been waiting for this day for so long. Folks, save your money because coming out on Blu-ray, finally, 
finally, we've been wanting this for so long. Star Trek, the animated series is coming out on Blu-ray. Great. I, at this point, I wish to <laughs> invoke a quote from one of my favorite movies, <laughs> Step Brothers, and just say this. What the f***ing f***? <laughs> I don't get it at all. I mean, I, I've said it before. I only watched the original series back when it was really on. I'm now re-watching it because we're going to eventually, I'm sure, going to want to do an episode about it. So I'm watching it, and I'm watching it. You know, the stories so far have been you know interesting. But Blu-ray? Come on, man. Deep Space Nine it. I mean, we need to. I mean, I know the difference, and and getting something like Deep Space Nine redone is going to be quite an arduous process, and it's going to take years. But this just, this just to me personally, it looks like a, it feels like a money grab. I I totally agree. I mean, I understand why they did Enterprise because it was the one that was already in widescreen. Sure. Yeah, it made sense to me. I get why they did Next Gen. Because Next Gen is kind of the flagship of the modern Trek era. And it looks beautiful. You know, it looks luscious. I see detail in the Next Gen Blu-rays that I didn't notice when it ran in syndication the first time. But the animated series? So we're going to take animation that was done in the 70s. And it's not like you can improve the quality on that vastly. And it's already on DVD. Yeah. I just... I. I don't get it. And the animation is not uh, – so much of the animation isn't really animation. It's it's something stationary and the camera is moving. Nothing is – the animation isn't actually happening. Oh, well. No. Well, I tell you what. We're going to buy a copy of this for James Kerwin and send it to him when it comes out. <laughs> I think I, I'm going to pre-order it right now. I'll be right there. <laughs> right there. Oh, man. Yeah, it's a bit of a disappointment for all of us Niners. Um, mm-hmm. But – I. I just it makes me think that DS9 on Blu-ray will never ever happen. Yeah, and that's too bad. Um I, I wish that they could do something not that they have to with Deep Space Nine because the special effects were great, but I remember when they redid TOS special effects and then they put that out on Blu-ray. Just unbelievable. Mike Akuda and his team did such a great job with that. And, well, and remember they did it for HD DVD first before yeah. that that platform failed because I have those. <laughs> What do they do? They sit on your table? (laughs) (laughs) Well, luckily it came with a standard DVD side, so they were dual layer. (laughs) But then they went back and remastered them again for Blu-ray, I think. Yeah, yeah. So Yeah, I agree. I I don't think we're going to ever see DS9. It it really is a shame because I would definitely rebuy all of those again if it were done in Blu-ray. Yeah, me too. Oh, well. Oh, well. Dan, our last news item this week regards a legend in the field of science fiction – And I bring up his name somewhat gingerly because I'm afraid of there being litigation. And, of course, I speak of Harlan Ellison. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Well, I'll take the the hit for you, man, if it comes to that. Um, It was announced uh, just last week that City on the Edge of Forever, the audiobook, is going to be coming out this year. It has been successfully crowdfunded. Um, And it's going to be – the interesting thing is it's going to be Harlan Ellison's original teleplay, which was not anything like the episode that aired. Um, and one of the voices that will be doing the reading will be the next generation's own LeVar Burton. So that's pretty interesting. It really is. I love LeVar, and I think he's a great addition to that project. A couple of years ago, Harlan was at the uh, at STLV, I think signing copies of the, the book of that same version. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he signed for free, from what I understand, for as long as people wanted him to. I mean, he truly was, you know, appearing as a fan. Right. For fans, and I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, so th- I'm sure this will be interesting. I just, I, I, I don't, I'm so tied to the Star Trek version of City on the Edge that I don't know how I'm going to feel about this version. Do you know what I mean? I'll be perfectly honest with you. I don't really have any intention of picking this up, to be honest. I will read the reviews and I'll talk to people who have listened to it and get their thoughts on it. But it's not something that makes me want to go out and buy. I just, I'm I'm not a big audiobook fan per se. And like you said, City on the Edge of Forever, we've talked about how it's a great um, episode. It's not pure Star Trek, but it's a great episode. And I don't want to have that uh, uh, 
taken away in any in any way by having by reading or listening to a completely different version of that story. I kind of feel the same way. You know, they they made the changes to Harlan's script to make it fit a television episode better. And mm-hmm. I'm sure it's a great story. And I, I'm kind of on the fence as to whether I'll, you know, buy the audiobook or not. I just I'm I'm a little surprised I'm not as gung ho for this as maybe I ought to be. Yeah. I'm more gung ho for the regular novels that came out a few years ago. A trilogy came out, I believe it was called Crucible, and it was a story about what would have happened after City on the Edge of Forever if McCoy had stayed there and they hadn't they hadn't taken him back to the regular time. And it also is what happens in the regular timeline, and they're kind of cross-connected. It's very, very good story, and I'm more excited about rereading that, I think, than by listening to this. Dan, we'd like to take a moment here before we move on to the next segment to appeal to our listeners. Um, we are asking folks to go into iTunes if you subscribe to the show and give us a review, or even if you don't subscribe, to, to do that already. Um, it helps other people find the podcast because of the way the iTunes rating system works. And obviously, we want as many people to find Trek Geeks as possible, wouldn't you say? I would say so. And uh, by doing reviews, it, it will bump us up, so to speak. And uh, um, please feel free to leave whatever type of review you want. We're not looking for you to do all positive. If you don't like it, tell us what you don't like. We don't care if it's one star or five star. Well, we care, but um, <laughs> we would rather have the review than than nothing. So, uh, yeah, ch- um, please, please do so. Uh, click on the number of stars, write what you want. We had a wonderful review that came through last night, as a matter of fact, from our friend uh, Heather, uh, which was uh, want to thank her because it was just really a special review. Uh, we've had several reviews. We want to get a lot more. So please uh, check it out on iTunes. Yeah. And the more reviews, the easier it is for people to find the show in the search results. If, um, if you haven't found our show on iTunes and you've been listening through other means, it's real easy. Just open up iTunes and search for Trek Geeks and you'll find us right away and you can add us to your iOS device or, you know, if you download it onto your iPad or iPhone, uh, you can listen straight away. But um, we're asking folks to do that as part of a new initiative so that we can try to introduce this podcast to as many people as possible. And we genuinely thank you all for your help. Dan, let's talk about one of Star Trek's finest hours today. What do you think? I think that would be a great idea. It's actually something that I thought of while you were in Vegas, my friend. Uh, trying to think of what we wanted to do for an episode. I said, you know, let's, let's pick a big one. Uh, you know, we don't want to do things in order. We like to jump around. And we had a great response from our 50th episode a few weeks ago when we talked about Relics. Very popular episode. Didn't have what we might think the most popular take on it. But uh, we've gotten a lot of, uh, of good feedback from that. And I said, hey, let's do another one. So we're going to take a big one and we're going to talk about it today. And that is Deep Space Nine's Far Beyond the Stars. It, it is a landmark episode for that series. We're going to stay right up front that we're not going to go through a synopsis of this show. There are plenty of other shows, I'm sure, that have done synopsis of you know, every single episode. Um we all understand what happens in the show. And if you don't, for some reason, um, you can always go to either star Trek.com or to memory alpha, um, mm. or you can actually go to Netflix and just watch it. Right. Um, but you know, we'll stipulate for the moment that everybody knows what the episode is about. And if you don't, you can pause this now and go watch it because it really is an amazing hour of television. It is. Uh, it is probably, if not my favorite uh, Deep Space Nine episode, one of the top two. I think we went through that list several episodes ago. Um, it may be one of the best episodes of Star Trek ever. Is that, all of the series. Is that why you chose this particular episode? Because you made this selection this week. No, actually, it's not why I chose it. I was um, I was actually flipping through Netflix one afternoon, and I brought up my Deep Space Nine page, and it just happened to be the one that I probably watched most recently on my tablet 
for Deep Space Nine, even though I've watched it on other uh, mediums uh, since then or before then. And I'm like, oh, Far Beyond the Stars. Oh, what a great episode. And then I got to thinking what a great discussion it would be of what we liked and what we didn't like, if anything, for this episode, because it is one of the best. It's one of the most powerful. Um, the acting, the directing, everything about it is such top notch and said, Hey, why not? Let's see, see if Bill wants to do it. So I kind of ordered you to, I think is what I said. <laughs> well, you, you are the executive producer. <laughs> Cease and desist. I think the thing that I appreciate the episode the most is it, confronts an issue in society in a way that doesn't sort of beat you over the head. I mean, there are some episodes of Star Trek that take on things like what what comes to mind immediately is um, let that be your last battlefield in TOS or symbiosis in the next generation. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the the drug dependency episode, I think. Yep. You know, both of those are kind of bonk bonk on the head and see what I did there. I do. That was pretty good. (laughs) And and this one is very direct with the things it deals with, but it doesn't bother to take the time to set up a metaphor. It examines it openly and plainly in context of the time it occurs. And I think that it, it's a first for Star Trek, and I think it was executed beautifully. It was executed beautifully. It is, in, t- in my mind, it is the purest definition of what Star Trek is about. It's taking on a social issue headfirst doing it in a way that puts a science fiction wrap around it, but also its message comes across so strongly. Uh, This one to me, like you said, the other ones are kind of really strong in terms of taking social issues and turning them into a Star Trek episode. Without a doubt to me, this is the number one episode that does that. Nothing else even comes close to this one in my mind. The other thing that, that I appreciate this episode for is, you know, Star Trek, as science fiction has been a metaphor for a lot of these things, but this uses the metaphor of science fiction entirely differently to tell this story. And I think that that's really the neatest twist of all. You know, it creates a set of realistic characters that explain not just the racism as far as inequality, but genderism. Yes. Other things like that. I think one of the things that was great about this this episode in regards to the genderism and feminism uh, uh, problem is this episode, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, had a really a wonderful tribute to TOS writer DC Fontana is how I've always taken it. Um, it's pretty well known that she had to use her initials when she was writing back in the TOS days because the studio didn't want people outside watching these shows to know that she was a woman. So... As a tribute to that, Kira's character had to go by initials of KC. Her name was KC Hunter. Um, very, very strong scene when uh, Renee's character says that she doesn't have to go to the photo shoot, and she's all upset because God knows what would happen if they found out that one of these writers was a woman. Um, so I thought that was a great tribute to, to uh, Dorothy, D.C. Fontana. I agree. I um, I thought it was handled you know, very, very well. It wasn't blatant but anybody who knew anything of the history of star trek knew exactly what it was about Mm -hmm. you know and then there's the juxtaposition against avery brooks's character benny right and it's like well i suppose i don't have to show up tomorrow either and you know renee's character is like yeah sorry it's it's business it's not personal the that that scene the line that that Paps to Renee's character says, well, hey, hey, they just, you know, they just want, we just want their writer, the writers to be as white as they are. Just that line in itself, and I'm not getting it right, um, but that's the, the, the gist of it. Very powerful one line, and it's just like, wow. And you, today it's 2016, and we're like, how the hell could people think like that? But I mean, probably a lot of people still do, unfortunately, but um, just so well done. The, the smallest of details was not uh, over overlooked in this episode when it came to making a powerful message. I agree with you 100%. And I think that sadly, it's a message that we hear all too much today, even still Mm -hmm. granted the, the setting is a little different. We're not talking about, you know, uh, the difference between lunch counters or, you know, people being included in group photos of authors, 
mm-hmm. to be sure that they look as white as the people who own the magazine. But, you know, we're talking about different aspects of race in today's culture. And I think that that's what makes this episode even more important in the fabric of Star Trek, even today, as we look at it in 2016, almost, you know, 15 years after it originally aired. I think it might actually make more, it'd be more important in today's world than it was 15 years ago. Because in some aspects, I don't, I think we've gotten worse instead of better. I mean, we don't want to get on a whole huge discussion on that, but, uh, it's as every time I've watched it, I've watched it several times over the course of the last week just to, you know, remind myself of all the things that happened. And I sit there shaking my head going, we haven't learned a damn thing. Right. And, and uh, in many ways we haven't. Yeah. Um, I will say um, on a on a happier point, I want to throw out all kinds of kudos to Avery Brooks for this episode. Um, we joke every once in a while, and we've talked about how sometimes he it looks like he's overacting a little bit in different scenes as as Benjamin Sisko, but in this episode, all of his intense scenes are just absolutely brilliant. He did a phenomenal job acting. And he did a phenomenal job directing this episode. This episode was either going to succeed brilliantly or fail brilliantly based on the fact that he was as heavily involved as he was. Mm -hmm. And if the script had been just a little bit weaker, I don't think this episode would have worked. But I think that Avery was able to tie everything together beautifully. It's like you you, you mentioned a, a second ago, you know, the, the criticism that some people have on Avery Brooks that he overacts to some extent. And I've ne- that's one that's never really set well with me. Mm-hmm. Because I think that with Avery, what you're seeing is not necessarily overacting like Shatner, per se. But you're seeing the passion that drives both him and Benjamin Sisko. Mm-hmm. And in this episode in particular, when you get to that scene toward the end, you know, where he's poking his own head and says it's real – you know, it, and says it over and over, there are tears starting to stream down his face. Yep. And I can't watch that and not be affected. It's if he were just overacting, I, I wouldn't have that feeling. But it's so visceral and it's so human that I can't help but be impacted by it. I agree. And what I find interesting when you brought that up, when I was watching it, the last time I watched it, I watched that scene and I was I was concentrating on seeing if the camera moved away from him at any time and it never did so that entire scene all that raw emotion the tears they're all real you know that in some, it's real <laughs> um but um you know that and sometimes you know they use makeup or whatnot to 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 make tears look like they're there but he was able to to really you know dig down and 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 those emotions came through loud and clear and i thought it was done perfectly i was that's that may be my favorite scene ever in, in Deep Space Nine is is Avery Brooks's final scene of that of that episode. I think part of the reason I feel so tied to Cisco and I have such affection for Cisco is the fact that he's not stoic like Kirk or Picard. You know, he there are things that affect him. There are things with which he feels passion and he demonstrates his vulnerability probably more so than any other captain. And I think that's why I feel so fond of Benjamin Sisko because he's probably more human than any captain we've seen up to this point. Right. And I don't know that anybody else could have played Sisko that way, that effectively, other than Avery Brooks. It's a shame. It's a crying shame that he was not nominated for an Emmy for that episode. It's a Oh, absolutely. Uh, This is kind of a joke question, but... One of the things with with Avery Brooks that I've always loved with Deep Space Nine is once he shaved his head and looked more like Hawk from Spencer for Hire, (laughs) he really seemed to take off with the character. Do you think this episode would have worked if he had the old Commander Sisko look? I don't think it would have. That's a great question. Um, No, I don't think it would have. And I think that's because, you know, early Sisko was working a lot on getting people to come into harmony. Mm-hmm. Whereas bald Cisco was all about winning the Dominion War. I think that that was his battle paint to some extent. And I could be wrong about this, but that's just all the way I've always interpreted it. Yeah. Granted, we saw the Dominion before he shaved his head, but 
it didn't get down to business until he started bicking. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I've always thought that his character, once that physical appearance was changed, his whole character changed to a kick-ass character. Yeah. Where before he was just kind of, hey, um, you know, <laughs> um, to a point. Um, I, but I was thinking of that the other day too. I'm like, man, I wonder if this would have really been as powerful if he didn't have the goatee and if he had the hair that he had in season one, two, and part of three. Um, I don't think it would have been. And um, yeah, so it looks like you agree again. Well, and honestly, when Deep Space Nine first started, I was a little thrown because I expected Avery Brooks and I saw this other guy. Yeah. And when I see Avery Brooks, I expect to see. You know, bald head and goatee, because that's how he had been in right. so many other things. Mm-hmm. But then, I, then you hear the voice, and there's always that intensity in the voice. And I have no problem with the fact that Cisco yells from time to time because it's more of his passion. Right. But when he gets into the "it's real" speech in this, I, I have to admit that I am affected by it viscerally as well. It makes me incredibly uncomfortable. I can feel a knot in the pit of my stomach starting. Because I understand what this means. And I understand that it's driving him to a place that he's never been before. Very, very interesting. I I have one question for you. Sure. Um, Totally different topic, but still on the episode. What did you think of Renee's performance? I have to say that like Nana Visitor, Renee Aubergenois is one of my favorite actors. Mm -hmm. And... I appreciate the role he played in this as an unwilling antagonist because he was the messenger, but yet he was also to the writing staff, the guy responsible and he was flawless. He really was. He was. I threw in that yep for Fark, by the way. Um, (laughs) I, I, you took the words right out of my mouth, man. I'm looking at my notes. He was Paps. The character of Paps was my favorite character in this entire episode, even more so than Benny because of the performance of Renee. His job as the antagonist was brilliant. You knew he didn't agree with Mr. Stone um, regarding Benny and the Negro captain, but his hands were tied and he had to do it and it made him look like the jerk to everybody else, but he still did what he had to do, even though he didn't agree with it. Uh, the other thing that I liked about him is it was great that he and Armin as Herbert were able to banter back and forth like Quark and Odo. I thought that that aspect of the writing for this episode was, was really enjoyable. There are all kinds of little Easter eggs I love in this episode. And one of them is a line that Armin's character has where he talks about the greats in science fiction. And I, I, I may have this order wrong or even the, the, one of the names wrong. Because he goes, you know, Bradbury, Heinlein, and then throws out Sturgeon. And it's a direct callback to the original series, which is just awesome with Theodore Sturgeon in my mind. Yeah. And then you look at other things like the covers of some of the magazines and you see, you know, <laughs> art from the original series. And it's like, yeah. wow. The, the the creative team really did their homework on this. Yeah. And it's it's phenomenal. Even the drawing that J.G. Hertzler's character brings in of Deep Space Nine that says DS9 on it. Right. Right next yeah. to USAF. Yeah. You know, it's it's great. You know, they found a way to make it all real to a point where you didn't know which was the dream. Right. And one, you, you mentioned JG just a moment ago, seeing everybody out of makeup was such a, not don't, this isn't meant to be negative towards any of the makeup. It was such a breath of fresh air to see these people being able to act without the benefit of that makeup. Cause they all do such a good job. Yeah. Uh, and they did a great job without the makeup. I thought that um, having uh, Dukat and Wayun as the bad cops, I thought was a, a brilliant uh, um, thing to do for the episode. But everybody out of makeup. And it's funny because I remember very distinctly the first time this episode aired and I watched it. I did not realize that the newspaper boy was Nog was Aaron <laughs> until he said something and it was just that voice. And I'm like, Oh my God. And then the rest of the episode, you saw all the characters without the makeup. And it was, it was, it was great. You know, Aaron Eisenberg, his part in this episode is brief, but it's like he stepped out of one of those forties or fifties movies <laughs> with the newspaper guy on the corner mm-hmm. because he just nails it. 
<laughs> and you can't help but smile because you realize, man, it's, it's perfect. It is Disney flawless. fans will realize will will know exactly what I'm talking about. Whenever I see that scene, I think of the uh, Spaceship Earth ride, um, the old one before they redid it, where there was a paper boy. Uh, there's a paper boy in animatronics, and he's pretty much saying the exact same things that are uh, that Aaron is in this. Uh, I, I thought it was it was awesome, just awesome. I would have loved to have seen who Mister Stone would have been. Yeah, me too. I was kind of hoping they'd bring somebody in. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe a a recurring guest, maybe a special guest. Yeah. Um, I, I liked the role that Brock Peters played in this episode as the priest. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a bit of a juxtaposition to get him into Deep Space Nine, which we'll talk about in the next portion. But um, I thought that his role of making Benny question himself was was really great. It was really right. well done. But Brock Peters is a legendary actor. And he's great in everything. Everything. And every performance he had in Deep Space Nine was very special, I thought. Uh, it was, he's the perfect father for Avery Brooks slash Benjamin Sisko. That was a great casting there. Well, since we've sort of trended that way, why don't we talk a little bit about the things that we didn't really dislike about this episode, but you know, maybe didn't you know, weren't as resoundingly successful for us as the other things we mentioned. Okay. Because there's really nothing to dislike about this episode. I agree. There really isn't. I would say that the only problem that I have with this episode, and this is just a personal thing, is the subject matter. It's disgusting. Yeah. It's unfortunate. And it, it's ridiculous that this prejudice and bigotry is is out there and has been out there for as long as it has been. And we don't seem to be making any headway. Um, so that you talked a little while ago about you feel a little uncomfortable watching that final scene with with uh, Benny having his nervous breakdown. This whole episode makes me feel a little uncomfortable, uh, especially when we when we see how it affects people and how much it affects them and how those effects kind of tendril out. Uh, perfect example is um, uh, Jake's character in this, in this uh, vision. Uh, he ends up getting shot by the, by Ducat slash Wayun. We never know which one, but right. Yeah. So I didn't, I don't like the subject matter, but it, it was needed to, to take on a social issue. This is a bit of a tangent, but it, it kind of plays into your comments. When I was, Seven or eight Roots premiered on television, and it was landmark. I mean, it ran on ABC, and at one point, I think it was one of the most watched programs on television, and it introduced LeVar Burton to the world, and I truly was just an elementary school child. And my mother, who was was, uh, raised in Depression-era Canada, um, made me watch it, even though it was on late. So I'd get home from school, and I'd have to take a nap and then get up for dinner. And then I would watch Roots, and then I would go to bed probably sometime before the end. And I would get up for school the next day because she thought it was incredibly important to understand what our ancestors did so that it is never repeated. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching the scene where Kunta Kinte is, is being whipped, and I cried. I mean, because I was horrified. I, I, I was eight years old, for God's sake. You know, and I'm watching this, but... It's because it was that important of a depiction of the history of our country. And when I think of moments like that, I can't help but think about this episode. And yes, our society had changed at that point, but ultimately it was just as disgusting and sickening as, as watching the historical perspective of Roots, mm-hmm. even though it was you know, somewhat fictional. So I can totally understand where you're coming from when you talk about how disgusting the subject matter is. But I think it's important in the sense that we never forget that it happened because I think we owe that to future generations. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. So with that being said, uh, it's not real dislike of anything in the episode. There were a couple of things in the episode that, you know, weren't awesome. Uh, And I got to say, I apologize because I love him in just about everything he does. I was not fond of Michael Dorn's vision character of the baseball player uh yeah it just it didn't it didn't work no it seemed stiff um i mean maybe he was supposed to be kind of a conceited asshat i don't know but he he acted that way i I think michael you know we said this to each other dorn should stick to playing a klingon 
<laughs> we have. We have said that. <laughs> um, he was a, you know, he clearly knew that uh, um, Benny's girlfriend was with Benny, but he didn't care. And then he's flirting with other girls at the table. And all he does is brag about himself and how many hits he had the night before in the game. The character just, it was one of those ones that I would not have missed if it wasn't in the show at all in that episode. I agree. I don't think this is the case, but it seems like a character that was probably added last minute or toward Mm -hmm. the end in a draft. I have nothing to back that up, but that's just the way it strikes me. Michael Dorn is a wonderful actor. Absolutely. I just don't think this character is fully formed. Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't pull off the 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 obnoxious jock Lothario yeah. um, the way that I would expect that character to be. And a perfect example of what we're talking about is when it's the vision and every once in a while Benny has, he sees Kira with her nose ridges and her uniform. There's the one scene in the diner where a hand is on Benny's shoulder and it's a Klingon glove and the camera looks up and it's Dorn as the Klingon. Just see the game? I mean, it's just like the Klingon and that worked. Nothing else did with that character. Yeah. No, I have to agree with you. I think that every other, you know, translation of somebody who portrays an alien, you know, becoming mm-hmm. human in this episode worked really well. Even Terry Farrell's character. Yeah. As the unfortunately stereotyped ditzy secretary worked. But she nailed the stereotype. Nailed it. Absolutely. And I don't think that Dorn did in this episode. Now, again, that's right. that's a minor quibble. In a masterpiece of an episode, mm-hmm. but it was enough to take me out of the episode when that character was on. I can't really, I, I can't say it's all Dorn because I, I think part of it is the writing of that character. I just don't right. think it's solid. There is one part of Dorn's character in this episode that I actually did like, and it was in another unfortunate line that was said. He was sitting there at the table and he's kind of leaning back in there, you know, uh, uh Cassidy, Cassidy's vision character is asking why he doesn't live up in the rich part of the town. And he goes, I, they can barely uh, take it for me playing alongside them. They'll never let me live next to them. Great yeah. line, very well delivered by Dorn. But like you said, it's the writing, I think, for that character, which was, which was off. Well, that's one piece of the writing that lets the character drop that, you know, machismo of sorts. Absolutely, yeah. And yep. it lets him get real. I think that if there had been more moments like that, for Michael Dorn's character, mm-hmm. I think we'd probably be having a different discussion today. Right. Um, the other thing that I would say I didn't dislike, but it wasn't one of my most loved things, is I thought that Julian's vision character was a complete, completely wasted character. He sat there with that long cigarette and had a couple comments here and there. Didn't really have much to do. No. Yeah. And it's too bad because he's such a great actor and, and his Bashir character is so well done. It was just unfortunate. But, of course, you've got all of these people crammed into one office. You know, It's sort of like the movies. Everybody's going to have one little part here and there, and it may not be as strong as it could be. There is something about this episode that doesn't work for me conceptually. And that is, why did the prophets give Cisco this vision? It doesn't make any sense to me because – at the before he has it, he's questioning whether or not he should still be part of this fight. Mm-hmm. And while the the guts of this episode that deals with racism and feminism and equality are spot on, I don't see why the founders. Ga- I'm sorry, not the founders. The prophets gave him that particular vision at that particular time that made him jump back into the fight. I don't get it. Yeah, that. That's not, and that's not something that I'm going to sit back and worry about because, as you, as you said, it's, it's, it really doesn't take away from the episode at all. But you're right. We had this discussion just the other day as we were prepping for the episode. Uh, why they gave him the vision? And we both were like, uh, I don't know. Because, yeah, he lost a good friend uh, whose starship, the starship was destroyed at the beginning, and he introduced that guy to who we ended up marrying. And he's really upset. He feels like the weight of the Alpha Quadrant's on his shoulders. Okay. So the prophets are thinking, well, let's give him a vision of what it was like in the 1940s on Earth and having to deal with racism, and that'll make him jump back into the battle. Well, but he experienced that as Benny and not as Cisco. So, I mean, it, it and at some point you don't know which part is the dream, whether mm. it's 
the, the science fiction writers or Deep Space Nine itself. Yeah. And I don't get how that makes Benjamin Sisko go, oh, what was I thinking? Yeah. What am I doing? Of course I'm, I'm in this fight. Right. Because the takeaway isn't necessarily Sisko's, it's Benny's. I, I do like how this was not the only time that we saw Benny also in Deep Space Nine. I did like it. You didn't like it? No, I don't like the future occurrence of Benny. We can talk about that probably in another episode. But okay. um, I thought that this was so brilliant that it should have stood alone. Um, I thought that they kind of cheapened the character and the, and the experience of this episode by introducing him later with um, with Casey Biggs's character. Exactly. Yeah, and I, that is one thing that I've thought of. It's interesting that you say that. I don't necessarily think the same way. I thought it was good that they brought him back to make us remember the things that Cisco was thinking about all during the time as leader of the war. Um, but I think they also did this very specifically so that they could allow Casey Biggs to have a part in that vision world where he was not a Cardassian. <laughs> that's that's probably very true. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else that uh, didn't sit well with you? No, I really think that's it. I mean, and, and believe me, that's that's nitpicking. Oh, absolutely. You know, that's yeah. uh, I feel like I'm a judge on Top Chef trying to find <laughs> something with, you know, 10 great dishes and I have to send somebody home and if there's going to be something, it's that. Right. You know. I um a couple of things very nitpicky and kind of jokingly say, all right, I'm gonna find something to nitpick. Here it is. They were gonna go out on a date later that night, uh Benny and what was what was Cassidy's character name? I can't recall it at the moment. Oh, you had to ask me that. Sorry. I'll let you I'll let you look for it while I'm explaining. Um so they're gonna go out on a date and Benny's leaving the restaurant. He goes, Okay, I'll pick you up at eleven. Huh? You're going out on a date at 11 and you're going to be at work there? No, no. <laughs> I'm not no. 20 years old anymore. And I don't think he's 20 in that episode either. She was a uh, Cassie. Cassie. Okay. Instead oh, of that's Cassie. Cassie. Right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And the other thing that I thought was odd is after he had sold his story and they were excited and they were going to go dancing that night, it was the time when um, Jake's character was killed. Mm-hmm. They, it comes back from a commercial and there's a whole bunch of traffic in front of this dancing theater and every there's a trumpeter outside and everybody's you know happy and and it looks like they're just meeting outside that dance theater and then they walk away from it it's like they never went dancing that's something that i never got or well, maybe they did maybe they didn't sir <laughs> It's just one of those things that struck me as it strikes me as odd every time I see it. You but. strike me as odd every time I see you. Wow, I knew that was coming. I just wow. left right into that one. Wow. Okay. So I, I think we're both in agreement that this is one of, if not the finest hour of Star Trek. It's definitely up there for me. I don't know if it's my number one of all time, but I would have to give some thought about others I think that surpass it. Mm-hmm. It is my it is either number one or number two favorite all-time Deep Space Nine episode. I don't really know which one I would put because they're so uh, up there. It's only a paper moon is the other one. Really? The the Nog story? Uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, it's a fake. Um, oh, uh, sorry. In the Pale Moonlight. Yeah, Pale Moonlight. Sorry. Um, yeah, th- those are those are my top two, I think. But in terms of best track, one of the top, one of the best. But in terms of Taking an issue and tackling it head on, this is the best example of that in Star Trek, I think. What other episodes do you think hang with it or compete with it across Star Trek? Well, we talked about it a little bit. Um, uh, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield is one that takes that that racism head on. Uh, Symbiosis, the um, also the episode with um, the race where Riker falls in love with one of the uh, inhabitants of the planet and they're neither male nor female, but oh, she's right. got female tendencies. Right. I think that's another one. Very strong uh, and very well done. But I just think that this one sets the bar in terms of story and acting that all the other ones have to catch up to. Wow. I'm sure there are a couple of Voyager ones as well. I just can't think of any at the moment. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure there are because there are some fine episodes somewhere in Voyager. Right? Wow. Did I say that out loud? 
Goodness gracious. Wow. You're going to get yourself in trouble there, son. I know. All the Voyager fans are really going to hate me for that. <laughs> okay. So to clarify, I have, I've tried to watch Voyager in its completion three or four times. I've failed every time, and I bail at roughly the same point every time. And when Neelix is getting his lungs take out, and he goes... <laughs> I wish you all could have seen Dan just then. That, but that happens early on. I mean, I yeah. usually bail like toward the end of season five. Ah, you know when it's deep into the Doctor and Seven of Nine show. I will say, like, uh, we're getting on a way big tangent right now, but just very quickly, I will say that Voyager, as with all of the incarnations of Trek, really picks up steam after after season three. Seasons four, five, six, and seven usually are where their best moments shine, but. With Voyager, it seems to be an up and down on those seasons. Yeah. There are some great ones, and there are some really not great ones. So I imagine in the future we will be talking about others in the pantheon of Trek's finest hours. Mm -hmm. But for now, if you haven't watched this episode in some time, uh, Far Beyond the Stars, if you haven't watched it recently, I think you owe it to yourself to go back and watch it because it's still relevant. It's still very relevant. And the other thing I want to add, and it's a very small addition, but I was going to bring it up before, and I actually wrote something down, but didn't bring it up. If you like this, on a much lesser scale, watch Bada Bing, Bada Bang. Really? Because Cisco has a lot of anger towards how things were back in that time frame of Vegas in the early 50s or somewhere on that time frame in that holodeck episode. And I think it's a good continuity about between the two episodes, I think. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, if if you enjoy Far Beyond the Stars, I would take a shot at Past Tense 1 and 2, because those are two of my favorite Deep Space Nine episodes. Mm-hmm. And um, that does handle that. Yeah, it handles a different type of inequality yeah. in the future. And we're not necessarily talking about race or gender, but in this case, means... And considering how timely it was when they did the episode, I think that I, I think it's I think it's good to watch. I, I love those episodes. I know there are people who don't, but I think they are phenomenal episodes. I I know that we have both talked about those episodes. I'll have to rewatch them because I don't remember really getting that. Oh my god, this is great from them. I will redo. I re, I will rewatch them though. I have a, you know. an old friend of mine who listens to this podcast, and every now and then we will text each other with Gabriel Bell. Because <laughs> every time Cisco says Gabriel Bell, it's just like, oh, you know, Gabriel Bell. The name, Gabriel Bell. Yeah. Good so it, please do yourself a favor. Watch Far Beyond the Stars. Let us know what you think about it. Do you think we're wrong about anything? Do you agree with us? You can always hit us up on Facebook or Twitter or leave us a call, and we'll uh, we'll be happy to hear your feedback. Okay. Dan, in order to do that, <laughs> people might that. want to know where they can reach us, and Absolutely. you might know how that could be possible. I do have a few ways that people can get in touch with us, and it's my honor and privilege to tell everybody. You're right? darn right it is. Okay, yes. Okay, actually, in all seriousness, there are a few ways to get in touch with us. On Twitter, Facebook, and Skype, our handle is TrekGeeks, plural. And uh, you can send us an email at trekgeeks at starfleet.com, or you can also call us at 508-784-1701 and leave us a voicemail message. Uh, also, if you want to, please feel free to jump on and join our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. To join the group, just go to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. Request to be added. We'll let you right in, and you can join some great discussion that we have. Plus, people that are members of Camp Kittimer get early access to these here episodes on the Trek Geeks podcast, so that's a benefit, right? I think so. All right, good. Also, please just remember that any comments or messages that you leave in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Is that correct, Mr. Executive Producer? Why are you asking yourself? That's what I want to know. (laughs) (laughs) Dan, as usual, we have to thank our friends in the band Five Year Mission for allowing us to use their music each and every episode of Trek Geeks. All of the music you hear is that of your house band, at the official Star Trek convention in Las Vegas this summer, Five Year Mission. So please head on out to fiveyearmission.net, 
pick up some year one, year two, year three, Spock's brain and trouble with tribbles and get ready for some year four, hopefully sometime soon. That would be awesome. Gracious. 129 days as we record, if I uh, get my math right. Well, and you're terrible at math, so I'm going to okay. double check you on that. Wow. But for okay. now, friends, this has been episode 53 of Trek Geeks. We wish you all to live long and prosper. I am a human being, damn it. You can deny me all you want, but you cannot deny Ben Sisko. He exists. That future, that coconut, all those people, they exist in here, in my mind. I created it, and and every one of you know it. You heard it. It's here. It's here. You, you hear what I'm telling you? You can pulp a podcast, but you cannot destroy a coconut. Don't you understand its ancient knowledge? You cannot destroy a coconut. That coconut, I created it, and it's real! Don't you understand? It is real! I created it, and it's real! It's real! You are such a drama queen. I cease thee and I desist thee. I'm going to write your intro. There we go. Oh, the better? It's all good now. Oh. Hi, oh, bud. That's hi. <laughs> I can see you, but you can't see me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take a moment to write your intro if you decide you're going to blather on. Wow. Do you want me to blather while you're typing? Sure, if you like. All right. Well, um, um, this was a pretty melancholy, not really much to do Easter. We kind of hung out and relaxed and did not much. And then I built my Lego Dimensions time travel portal device. <laughs> 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 and it was fun. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for that Enterprise one to come out in the fall. Even though it's not Lego, it'll be close enough. That's going to be fun. Yes. And if you're... What's that? Yes. And if you're really nice, maybe I'll bring it to your house and you can hold it and not drop it. If you put that thing anywhere near me, if I drop it, it's on you. (laughs) I might have to spray that one down with like some lacquer to make sure that it sticks. Fool me once. Shame on... You. You. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Shame on you always. You're shameful. I shame you and I de-shame you. On Easter. How nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Sorry. No, you're my friend. No, really. Thanks. Blessed be to you. (laughs) (laughs) I cease thee and I desist thee. Hater. Get ready to match the stars. <laughs> Bill Smith. <laughs> what you drinking tonight? Uh, shipyard Blood Orange. Oh, yes. You mentioned that to me once before. That melon head at the store the other day. It's kind of kind of early for melon head, but I'll take uh, it. It's never too early for melon head. I'm going. Uh, I'm going the water route tonight. We kind of like switched. It's kind of like turnabout intruder here. Does this make you Janice Lester? <laughs> Interment will take place on Venetia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I got some pear flavored hint water tonight. It's pretty good. It's my favorite, actually. That's a uh, that's great. I can tell that you're busy, so I'm just gonna let go. I'm done writing your intro now. Now you're reading it. I may have been. What you do were. you care? I do care. I care about you, sir. Okay, so let's see it, dude. Let's see it in for real in person, live on screen. All right, hold on. <laughs> so I have to tell you tonight, I have a sleeveless shirt on to let yes. the, the tattoo breathe. Yeah. I'm drinking a beer. The only thing I'm missing is a mullet and some NASCAR. I feel like I should be in Joe Dirt 3. What's up there, Robbie Barry, Mickey, whatever the Robbie B- – what's the name of that movie? Ricky Bobby. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> haven't seen that one. Dude, that looks pretty sweet. That is nice. Pretty cool. Good work. <laughs> Sorry. Love, <laughs> exciting and new. Come aboard. We're expecting you. Wow. I'm getting a little excited here. <laughs> All right. Let's All do right. this. I'm good.